Good morning and welcome to the SBS. Actually, it's afternoon. Good morning and good afternoon and welcome to the SBS Cycling Central Tour de France podcast. I'm Philip Gomes and I'm here with Jamie Finch-Penninger and Anthony Tan. Say hello, chaps. Hello, Phil. You you made me, well, the way you said Tan, it sounded like a dirty name, but it's it's just a... A regular shade of brown, really. That's right, it is. Yeah. It is. I thought it sounded like the imperative, like you were telling him to get a tan, but um, he's already got one a bit. I've really. got one, yeah, that's right. I need summer to come so to, to work on it a bit more. Well, stage 14 of the Tour de France was won by none other than Mark Cavendish, and Chris Froome continues to lead the race. Uh, Cav claimed his 30th Tour de France victory, which is incredible. And fourth in this year's race after a bit of last second argy bargy with Marcel Kittel. And he's now four shy, this is Cav, four shy of the all-time stage win record of Eddie Merckx. And who will bet against him being two stages closer after the, after the finale in, uh, in Paris? Cav was too fast for the rest of the bunch, and he beat Alexander Kristoff of Katusha and uh, Peter Sagan. And fourth was John Dengelkob, which is interesting in itself. Uh, Sagan uh, finished, uh, sorry, um, Cavendish uh, in the RG Barge, Cavendish insisted the sprint was clean. Kittle had a different point of view, but I've looked at it several times on the replay, and it looks to me like there was no case to answer. How about you, Jamie? Well, I disagree. Um, Cavendish was certainly going faster than Kittle, and I think that creates a bit of an illusion because as he comes across Kittle, I think that if you look from the overhead footage, he would have taken out Kittle's wheel if Kittle hadn't braked. And in that situation, it's Kittle that's going down. It's not Cavendish because when you when you have that back wheel meeting the front wheel, it's always the person with the front wheel hitting that goes down. So I think it was a, a dangerous move. And you're not supposed to move from your line in the sprint, which is what Cavendish did. So I think there was a, a definite case to answer and he probably should have been relegated. Tony. Anthony. Wow, that's harsh. That's harsh, James. I, I, um, I thought the commissaires made the right decision because for me, when I saw the replays, perhaps Jamie's seen it more time, but I saw both of them actually veer towards each other. I think Kittel was at his maximum. When you see a sprinter in front of you, you start losing it a little bit and Cavendish was clearly quicker. Uh, than Kittel for me. Uh, but uh, the way, I just love the way Cav lined him up. He was, he was like a deer hunter. Yeah. You know. Stalked, he, stalked he him. He did him real good. But apparently, um, we have a great interview on the website, by the way, if you, you go have a look at Cav uh, talking to uh, Dave McKenzie. It's another revealing and, and entertaining interview uh, where Cav talks about that sprint from the Dimension Data point of view and that it wasn't really clean. And that uh, Jens van, uh, van Rensburg, uh, one of his teammates, actually took the sprint, was taking the sprint the other way. And they had meant to kind of go Kittle's way. And then the whole thing kind of fell apart. And, you know, it was don't, a bit don't of a Don't you love uh, these interviews with Mackenzie and uh, Ka- Not Actually, I should just congratulate Dave. I think he's one of the best TV field reporters. I, I, I'm not just saying that because he's a SBS staff member, but he's actually really quite good. No, you know, D- David's, David's on point, and, uh, and his relationship with Cav is, is evident in those interviews, I reckon. Right? And, and we're getting a lot out of them, right? That's the yeah. thing, is, is we're getting a sense but of... Even the tough ones, you know, yeah. 
I, I guess uh, he didn't interview Gripel, but you just saw in last night's coverage um, they because it was Gripel's birthday, they were asking him all these questions. Oh, you must mean a lot. I mean, the pressure was clearly getting to him. They interviewed Hanson. Uh, Mackenzie interviewed Hanson before you know okay they had one with the Kent but really they needed a win I mean most of the team is centered around Gripel so this becomes problematic when you you're in the you almost in the third week of the Tour de France and you haven't won a sprint and then this other guy who people thought was washed up has won four uh, Gripel clearly is a is he's a tough uh, customer to interview and uh, yeah I, I just thought this this is what happens though like Cav's on a roll he's on a roll and in that interview with Maka he said uh, he's actually got a sniff of the, the green jersey as well he's not that far away from Sagan so uh, and I noticed that in the post-race uh, post-race interviews Sagan was saying that he felt that he needed to grab some points as much as possible as many points as possible because he's kind of feeling that heat just a little bit because the reality is if Cav wins the next the next two sprint opportunities. That's 100 points right there. That puts him ahead of Sagan. So Sagan's really got to stay in the mix in each one of those sprints. And then there's the intermediates too, That's right. Phil. So yeah. uh, you get... Oh, geez, I can't remember the point system. It's but 20, 20 points for the intermediates, 50 for the, 50 for the win, right. and it's mm. uh, 30 for uh, mountain... Uh, mid-mountain type stages, sprints. Yeah, yeah. so I, I reckon there's two opportunities left so there's a Champs-Élysées obviously but then there's a um there's the one to burn I can Cav's pretty versatile it'd be, it'd be uh, unless that stage finishes in a in a breakaway that that could happen yeah I've, I've been crunching the numbers a bit before the tour um I haven't updated them since since last night's stage but essentially it's going to have to be at least one of those big sprint stages, Sagan's going to have to meet a, miss out entirely because he's just too consistent over those medium mountain stages and he'll pop off the front. He'll pick up those 20 points in the intermediates and Cav won't be able to do anything about those those stages. So, yeah, whilst I see maybe maybe Cav can get another 100 points, Sagan will be getting at least 60 plus. There's um, another 30 available on stage 16 where he should go very well and and then he'll be up there in the in the other in the flatter sprints as well we've seen him coming third fourth second you know it's it's not been too difficult for him to pick up points in those stages as well so i still think it's you know sagan's jersey to lose yeah yeah i don't i don't think there, there's any question but uh, cavs now obviously he's, he's in the interview he said he's he's feeling very very good so he feels well i'm on a roll i might as well keep going and he thinks well the the green jersey's still in play but more importantly for all for us as fans is it looks like he's going to paris well uh, Paris, you know, the Champs-Élysées is a, a sprinter's paradise. It's basically, um, you know, because they haven't had a road world championships for sprinters in so long, well, it happens to be this year, but, you know, they haven't had one since Copenhagen in 2011. So it's a, this is, in effect, the de facto world championships for sprinters. And uh, I think even... Cav's also thinking about that. It's for for him to have this sort of almost like a comeback tour to pull out, you know, with a couple of days to go. I don't think it sits well for him. He's he's too proud a person. Mm, yep. Uh, 
prior to the stage last night, you mentioned Sam Bennett uh, as one of the writers in the mix. And in a sense, that he was he was in the mix. He, he finished in twelfth uh, place. But you you mentioned um, the guy sitting in fourth place, which is why I mentioned him off the top of this. Uh, the show was um, John Dengelkob. Looks like he may have getting some legs back. After his horrific crash, well, not just his, Giant Alperson's horrific training crash where a car ploughed into them at the start of the season in Spain. It's been a very long road back for those guys. Buggy has come back a bit earlier than Degenkolb has, and there's been a number of other riders who have come back out of the season, but Degenkolb was one of the worst affected. And it finally appears that he's getting some legs back, so it'll be great to see him at top flight because, you know, at his best, winning Milan San Remo, winning Paris-Roubaix, He's a rider that we can, you know, really enjoy watching. And hopefully he goes well in the coming stages. I mean, if he's starting to get some form back now, I mean, that bodes well for the rest of the tour. So, you know, maybe he can get up stage 16. Um, he's done well on uphill sprints in the past, and maybe we'll see him on the Champs-Élysées. I mean, it's not quite the same lead-out they'd bring for a dedicated sprint lead-out like they have in the past with Kittel last year. But, yeah, I mean, he can do something on those stages, definitely. After the race, uh, after the stage, the GC guys, obviously, there was no implications for general classification last night. Uh, so all they could do was look ahead at uh, what's coming up tonight, which, uh, which is mountainous. Uh, yes. 5,093 meters of climbing, six climbs, including the uh, Grand Colombier. Um, Frim, all Froome said was the race is not over. The final week, is there's still a lot to play for even though a lot of people are, are, are effectively saying he's won the race at this stage. Uh, do you agree with him, Anthony? Well, if you take out, I know this is a bit ridiculous, hypothetical, but if you take out Chris Froome, well, well, let's go back to the first rest day after Andorra. Never in the history of the Tour de France has there been a general classification so close. Ne never. Uh, so, but um, even, even leading up to this second rest day, I, I, I still think, yeah, you take out Froome and it's a very close competition. Obviously, the inclusion of him and, and the way he's riding suggests that, you know, he will win. But tonight's stage, I mean, six categorised climbs, six quite difficult climbs over the spa a short space. I mean, this is how, this is the new Tour de France style, if you like, in the mountains. They, they, they don't want these... 200 kilometer plus stages because all that happens is that sky gets on the front and rides tempo up, uphill and down dale and it's boring um, this actually leads it, it provides the impetus for an attack hopefully from someone like Quintana perhaps he will go with uh, someone I don't know Valverde they might they might do something like that like they did in last year's Tour de France I think on the second to last mountain stage so uh, it, even though it's a downhill finish, I, I still think there's, there's opportunity here. Um, just to recap, there are uh, two Category 1 uh, category one climbs, the, the last of them coming at the 15-kilometer uh, mark to go, and then it's all downhill to the finish. Uh, one Category 2, two Category 3, one Sprint Prime, and uh, the HC at uh, Colombia. So... Um, really, with a sprint stage last night and with sort of more of a, a, a rolling stage uh, on stage 16, you and then a rest day coming up, you would expect that uh, the GC guys are going to go full gas tonight. Yeah, oh, well, they're certainly going to give it a run. I'm not sure how much the Grand Colombier actually assists people attacking. It's a very, it's quite a long climb rather than being a super hard climb. And 
I think that suits Sky and Froome very well. I mean, they've got the strongest team here. We've seen that in the mountains so far, and they can they can use that team, which they've kept in reserve quite a quite a bit to um, control the pace a bit more. And I think they'll need to because there will be attacks from guys who are losing time. And as I said, I think last last podcast. It'll be interesting to see who forms those alliances and going on the attack. I think we'll see guys like Barday. We should see guys like Port going on the attack, and it'll be very exciting to see what happens. Will, oh, sorry, Anthony, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, people might be confused about the Columbia features twice. There's actually four faces of the Grand Columbia, so you've had... They're they're doing the easier phases, um, Jamie alluded to. So um, the actually the descent that they go down, that's the hardest side of the Columbia, and then uh, at the end they do the Lasses du Grand Columbia, and which is actually quite difficult. So uh, it's it's an unusual pass if you like, because there are four ways to go up. But I, I sort of think that it doesn't really matter about so much the the gradient or whether there's hairpins or not if they're going it, it depends really on the the riders will make the race rather than the climb itself and so if there's enough people going burko up the climb then then you'll then you'll get the ensuing fireworks uh obviously the with the race t- starting to tighten and you know we've got only so many stages left there are narrowing opportunities for uh, for other riders to, to to get stage wins. Does this stage look like a breakaway could uh, could also succeed? Yes, I don't think anyone's particularly going to want to drive the pace this for the entire stage to keep the breakaway from winning. So yes, I think there's plenty of climbers who have lost a lot of time and will see their opportunity in taking a stage win here. Um, off the top of my head, um, I think we'll see guys like in that. You know, twenty. Rui Costa. Well, off the top of my head, Rui Costa <laughs> is always near the. He's, front. he's not. Yeah, he's not, it's not off the top. He's always. He's in your head. The forefront. Yeah. He's at the front of my mind, <laughs> but I try to avoid saying him until last. Um, no, like a guy like Sebastian Reichenbach, he's been climbing incredibly well so far. He's about twentieth position overall, and he's a star for the future. I think we'll see somebody like him go off the front. Um, maybe even Tom Dumoulin again. Who knows? He's been in that good form. Maybe he's dialing it back for the Olympics now, but. He'll have a go. Um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of other names out there as well. Yeah, I mean, Thomas again could go again. This guy is having an amazing tour. I remember we were sp- speaking about him earlier, and you know, I did say on paper that stage that Van Avermaet won. You know, I said really again should have been in here, and uh, I think Jamie and uh, um, Rachel laughed at me. But the thing is, yeah, he finished third in the Giro four years ago, but. You just can't discount a guy like the the way he finished third in that Giro. The, the way he's riding is is almost exactly the way he rode in that Giro. He's found his. I don't know what he's done, but he's clearly back to his best, and he's very good at his recoveries. Is excellent, so it almost leads me to think oh, he, he's another one of those guys. This is a perfect stage for Daniel Martin if he wasn't riding for GC, but. He still is. So I guess the Ghent, uh, this is the kind of stage for the Ghent where he could really lock up the uh, polka dot jersey fight as well. Yeah, for sure. Right. Because, I mean, realistically, he doesn't have much in the way of uh, rivals, I think, uh, left really in this race. Well, not the Thibaut, not since Thibaut Pino's gone home with injury. And I suppose Raphael Micah is the other one who's going to challenge him from a breakaway. The real problem for De Ghent will be is 
if the favourites decide that they want to push the pace and keep it high and then take it away from take the opportunities away from him from taking points in breakaways because um, I think that's the only thing that's going to beat him in the mountains classification right now. Yep. Yeah, it's it's just good though to see someone going for the poker dot, whereas Froome essentially won it by default last year. I, I like seeing an actual competition for a major classification. Um, and I guess uh, on that note, we'll we'll call it a day. Um, look out for the race uh, tonight. You're going to want to watch this one, and we start early on uh, on SPS. It's at uh, 8.30 p.m., so you're going to see a, a, a long uh, segment of the race, the, the majority of the race, really. And uh, you will see Colombia, obviously. Um, it could be a big one. Uh, in fact, it probably will be a big one. So tune in to SBS uh, to join Tomo and the rest of the crew in the race, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>